0: Good morning, pastors and ministry leaders. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Nigerian Pastors Podcast. My name is Shegun Ayegusi and I am a pastor and founder and director of the Gathering Faith Leadership Network. We are a pastoral training ministry in the city of Jos in Kato State, Nigeria, and our mission is to encourage, equip, and strengthen pastors and ministry leaders. The Nigerian Pastors Podcast is the audio ministry of the Gathering Faith Leadership Network, and we aim to achieve two goals through this podcast. One, we want to minister to the pastor's heart and stir up in you a greater love for Jesus Christ. The fact is, when a pastor is in awe and in love with Jesus Christ, it will result in emotionally and spiritually healthy ministry leaders who lead thriving churches. And our second goal through this podcast is to equip you with practical biblical teaching for ministry so that you can grow in your knowledge of God's Word and become more effective in preaching and teaching through the Bible. It is our ongoing prayer that the Holy Spirit of God accomplishes both of these goals in your life as you listen along. Welcome again, and thank you for listening. So in today's podcast, we are going to talk about the powerful impact of prayer. You know, as pastors, um, uh, hopefully your your church has a thriving prayer ministry. And I don't mean like you have a group of people who pray, but I I, I mean that I hope that your church is a praying church where, where prayer is really its heartbeat, the blood that runs through its veins. Now, what I want to say is this, is that um, having a church that has a powerful prayer ministry often starts with a pastor who has a dynamic personal prayer life see where i'm going with this like like if you want your church to be a praying church then you have to ask the question as a ministry leader do i spend time seeking the father right because your own personal prayer listen to this your personal prayer life will always spill over into the pulpit and so in today's podcast, man, I want to I want to pump you up. I want to energize you by guiding you through an account in the Old Testament where we're going to learn how to how to dare to believe and ask God for some impossible prayers. And I want to challenge you after that to audaciously begin acting as if you believe God's going to answer your prayers, okay? So so that's where we're going to go today. We're going to talk about the powerful impact of faith-filled prayer. Before we get there, let me ask this question. When was the last time that you prayed something, you prayed for something that was so big and so mind-boggling that that like it made you nervous. Like I mean the kind of prayer that that when you prayed everybody else in the prayer meeting kind of looks at you like, "What did you just ask God for?" That's what I'm talking about. Like like the kind of prayer that I mean it would literally require God to show up and answer. That's where we're going. You know, the, the truth of the matter is this that as I've observed that it's um bold prayers, bold specific prayers sometimes scare us. It's much easier to pray generic prayers. It's much easier to stand in front of a crowd and say, Lord, show up and bless us and 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 revive us and pray generic things. I think it's much harder to be specific. And, and the fact is, Jesus actually invites us in places like Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Well, in today's podcast, I want to look at the prayer of a man in the Bible who prayed a prayer that was so bold that I think it would rightly scare the living daylights out of the rest of us. And, and, and by looking at this story, like I said, I want to challenge you And whoever else is listening, whether you're a pastor or not, I want to challenge you to dare to believe and ask God for something in your life, in your ministry, that seems unachievable, then act in audacious faith, believing God's already heard you. You know, for me, that audacious prayer was really my decision or really a God-called decision to pack my family up to come to Nigeria. Many of you don't know me, but in the United States, I had a fairly decent, comfortable life. And when it began to sense that God was pulling our hearts to come serve him overseas in Nigeria, I thought, oh, maybe Lagos, maybe Abuja. And Lord's like, no, you're going to Joss in the middle of all this mess that's happening. And we began to pray that, Lord, use us. And and there's a lot that goes in there. But one of our bold prayers was that, Lord, not only would you protect us, but work through us. And I have to say, in the time we've been here, I have seen God answer every one of those audacious prayers that we dared to pray. Well, today's podcast is not about me. It's actually about someone in the Bible named Joshua, you all know Joshua, the the uh, the guy, the successor of Moses the Great, right? And his story, the one we're looking at today, is in the book of Joshua, chapter 10, verse 5 to 14. In that story, we're gonna see Joshua ask God for something that seems incredibly impossible when Joshua speaks to the son, S-U-N, he speaks to the son and tells the son to do something that sons generally don't do. All right, let me let me give you the background before we read the story, Uh, because I think it'll it'll because once again our goal um, is to stir up in you to to grow in you as a pastor, just a really bold. Don't just pray a lot, but pray bold, powerful, radical, audacious prayers. That's our goal. So um, Joshua is an Israelite, as you know. He he had been a slave in Egypt when God frees the Jews from four hundred years of captivity through Moses. So that means that Joshua witnessed all the miracles and all the signs and all the wonders that God performed through Moses. Now, during their wilderness journey to what was eventually what was known as the Promised Land in Canaan, Joshua actually rises pretty quickly through the ranks and becomes Moses' right-hand man. Eventually, essentially, Joshua becomes the general in command of the Israelite army. By the time we get to the book of Joshua chapter 9 and 10, what we're looking at in today's podcast, we find out that Moses has actually died and Joshua is now the leader of Israel. And he finds himself in a situation where he has to rally his army to defend one of their ally countries named Gibeon. And both of these countries are going to be fighting against five elite armies from five different nations. So that's the background. Let me read it to you. Joshua chapter 10, verse 5 to 14. It says, Then the five kings of the Amorites—that's the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon—joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. And so the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us! Because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. And so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to stand uh, withstand you. And so, after an all night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. In fact, the Lord threw them that's the five Amorite kings and their armies the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So, Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. And Israel pursued their enemies along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them all down to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth-horon to Azekah, the Lord began to hurl down large hailstones on the enemy army, and more of them died from the hail than were actually killed by the swords of the Israelites. And on the day, verse 12, On the day that the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, "Son," Son, stand still over Gibeon and you, moon, over the valley of Ejelon. And so the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being surely the Lord was fighting for Israel." I mean, that, my friends, is an incredible story, right? Now, let's talk about this battle, right? Because the first thing you you need to know from a human perspective is that this battle between Israel and the five kings and their armies was an impossible situation. I mean, this coalition of five armies were, they were clearly a larger military force. They were a more established army because And they had a better strategic location because they would have been more familiar with the terrain than the Israelites. Remember, the Israelites are marching through the desert to another location. And so this army is bigger, it's better, it's probably well-equipped. Not only that, but scripture says the Israelites had actually marched all night to join the Gibeonites in battle. So physically, they're probably a little tired. All that to say that if you were to take a bet on who would win in this battle, I'm pretty sure most of us would put our bet on the five armies had we not known anything about the story. But remember what this podcast is about. It is about daring to ask God for the impossible. It's about praying the kind of audacious, bold prayers that only God can take credit for. Now, uh, because you've just heard the story, we know that the Israelites win the battle. But what I want to draw your attention to is God's meeting with Joshua in verse 8, on the night prior to the battle because that was the turning point in the story. The victory in battle didn't come on the battlefield. It came the night before when, in verse 8, God shows up, pulls Joshua aside and says, listen, you don't even have to sweat. I have given them into your hands and they're going to turn on their heels and flee when they see you coming. I think it's important that you know that God was stating this promise to Joshua in the past tense, as in God was saying, I've already given him, like it's already, it's a done deal. And so Joshua's confidence to pray a bold prayer was rooted in the fact that he had received a promise from God. It was based on his close relationship with God and the promise from God that God had already won the battle for him. That's important when you're praying a sun stand still prayer. Now, Joshua and his army would still need to ride into battle and claim this victory that was already theirs, but the difference is that they would be fighting from a position of strength, not a position of fear. That's what God's promises do. When you're praying on God's promises, what he said in his word, what he's spoken prophetically into your life, you're coming into prayer from a position of strength. And this principle holds true in the prayer life of every follower of Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14-15 to 15 says, This is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. God hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked Him for. You see, I take the time to make that case so that you can be more bold in prayer because very shortly, I'm going to challenge you to think of and write down and begin praying the most daring and audacious prayers that you have ever prayed or what I like to call your sun stand still prayer. You know, the term sun stand still is a metaphor for the seemingly impossible things in your life that will only come about when you seek God in prayer. And so begin thinking right now, what are those God-honoring ambitions? What are those God-implanted desires in your life that seem bigger than you but would require a move of God in your life to get done? All right, well as you're thinking about that, let's go back to the story and see how this plays out for Joshua because he and his army, they are already in the heat of battle, there's fighting going on, and according to verse 11, God actually was intervening by supernaturally raining down large hailstones from from heaven. So this army, these five armies are in confusion. They're probably fighting themselves right? Um, in fact, it would seem that at some point in the heat of battle, the five kings of the Amorites noticed that the battle, they're losing this. I mean, they're fighting each other. The Israelites are beating them. There's stuff raining down from heaven. The suggestion from this passage is that they were, in fact, it says that they were starting to run from the battlefield. Perhaps their thinking is, man, we, we need to escape from here. You know, maybe it's getting, maybe it's about to get dark or they're thinking, let's run so that when it gets dark, we can regroup and re-attack the Israelites.'" Well, Joshua sees the enemy fleeing off the battlefield, and he knows that God has already promised him that he's going to win this victory. He can't afford to let them escape. And so acting on faith in God and standing on the authority of what God had already appointed to him, starting in verse 12, Joshua dares to pray an audaciously bold prayer that no military general has ever thought to pray. Joshua essentially turns to God in prayer and tells the sun, stand still. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've prayed for God to heal me. I've prayed for God to provide. I've prayed for God to bless. But I have never prayed that the God that God would make the sun to stand still. Joshua tells the sun, stand still. And he tells the moon, don't go anywhere. But sun, stay where you are and continue to light up this battlefield so we can see the enemy clearly and we can defeat them in the battle that God's already promised to us. I mean, talk about praying a bold prayer. Everything in this passage points to the fact that this was an actual historical event where the earth paused in its rotation around the sun, which is why verse 14 ends by saying there's never been a day like it before or since. I think Joshua's prayer in this book, in this chapter, has to be on the top 10 list of greatest and most daring prayers anyone has ever prayed. Not only that, verse 14 says when he prayed this, he prayed it in the sight and in the presence of all of Israel. Like it's one thing for me to pray a bold prayer in private where I can trust God to meet me and and if God does it, great if he doesn't. But to pray something publicly and to speak to this man, that right there is a man filled with faith. You know, this story should stir up in you what I call holy discontent. You should hear the story and you should be saying to yourself, Lord, birth in me and grow in me this kind of audacity in prayer. Make me like Joshua. Help me dare to believe you for what seems impossible. Help me be bold in seeking after you for what seems unattainable. And grant me the courage to act in faith based on what I asked you. You know, there's a pastor in North Carolina. Uh, named Stephen Furtick. He's the pastor of Elevation Church, and he wrote a book many years ago called "Sun Stand Still. I read that book. I think I was in seminary at the time, and the book really impacted my life. In fact, it it shaped this podcast you were listening. I'd actually written this a while back. And in his book, uh, Stephen Furtick explains what goes into asking a sun stand still prayer. It's not just something you make up, but here's what he says. He says your vision or your sun standstill prayer will probably flow out of something that God is already doing in your life or a relationship you've already established or priorities you're already passionate about. The kind of sun standstill still prayer that makes you bold enough to ask God for the impossible can come from many sources. It can materialize in a million ways, and it will mature over time, not in the blink of an eye. The bottom line is this. If you are going to ask God to do something impossible in your life, then you have to have some clarity about what it is you're asking for. You've got to know that you're not just spinning some fantasy or going into some kind of delusional ego trip. That's not the kind of unlimited potential we're talking about here. Far too many well-meaning Christians have wrecked their lives because they chased after a far-fetched idea that they sincerely thought came from God, but it didn't. If the dream or the prayer that you're praying in your heart is not biblically based, if it's not focused on Jesus, if it is not affirmed by people in your life, and if it's not connected to your passions and gifts and experiences, chances are you're way off. And so the question you wanna be asking and thinking about is what are those dreams God has planted in your heart? In fact, let me ask you that question. What are some mountain-sized prayers that are buried deep in your heart that you've been afraid to pray? I want to challenge you to step outside of your comfort zone and start daring to believe God for the impossible and ask audaciously and boldly a prayer that's worthy of the creator of heaven, a prayer that's based on what God's already doing in your life and what's God already revealed in your life and what God's already taught you in your life. Now, as you write down or think about what your sun standstill prayer may be, allow me to point out another important piece of the story. You see, even though Joshua's bold prayer was firmly established on God's promises, Joshua didn't just say, well, I prayed and I believe God's going to do it. Rather, Joshua still had to engage in actual battle to acquire what God had already promised him. In the words of one author, I love what he says. He says, if you are going to pray to ask God to make the sun stand still, then you better be ready to pull out your sword and ready to fight all day because it's going to be a really long day. You see, what this is getting at is this, is that if you're going to pray a personal sun standstill prayer for your life, for your family, for your ministry, for your church, then you need to go into it being prepared, believing that God is going to answer it. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if, if let, let me put it for you this way. If God were to hear and answer that great prayer you're praying by noon tomorrow, are you even prepared for the changes it's going to bring? Like if you're asking God, use me to serve this people or 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 bless this people or do this. If God were to do it tomorrow afternoon, have you even prepared yourself? Like are you preparing yourself like you believe this thing is coming? And let me let me put it as a question. What can you begin to do by faith to prepare yourself in anticipation that God's going to answer your prayer? It will go a long, long way. I mean that itself is an act of faith. So what is it? What are your son stand still prayers? Hopefully, as I was talking, you were beginning to think about it. Many of you already have a prayer that's been forming in your heart. You already have a vision. There's a calling God's placed on your life that you've been kind of sidestepping, right? It's time to begin crying out to God to do it and also for you to actually start acting as you believe it's going to happen. Let me end this podcast by sharing with you a story of an ordinary Christian who really put this prayer to practice, the sun stand still prayer. There is a man who goes by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere. Jeremiah Lamphere was a follower of Jesus Christ who lived in the mid 1800s. In fact, he was, a, he was a former businessman who took up an appointment as a city missionary in downtown New York and was appointed by the North Church of the Dutch Reformed Denomination. Well, Lamphere was also a man of prayer who had a sun standstill prayer burden for his city. And so on September 23rd, 1857, Lamphere decided to start a lunch hour prayer meeting. Every noon, he would have this prayer meeting for businessmen right across from Wall Street in New York in 1857. Initially at first meeting uh, that he had, nobody actually showed up. But then ever so slowly, people began to trickle in one by one. In total, that first day of his prayer meeting that he really felt God put on his heart to start, by the way, let me point out, so he had a sun standstill burden for his city. He didn't just pray, but rather, listen, he took action by starting a prayer meeting. So faith meets action, right? Well, the first day he only had six other businessmen show up for his meeting. It wasn't anything spectacular, but Lamphere was not discouraged. He kept at it, and he kept doing it, and the next day, a few more people showed up. By the next week, 20 people were showing up regularly, and by the following week, 30 to 50 people would show up, at which point they needed a bigger room. Now, these meetings were not led by a pastor, and the people who showed up were from across denominational lines, and anyone was allowed to pray with with some guidelines. You could pray for only five minutes, and each person could only pray uh, twice, at most twice so that everyone else had a chance. In fact, (laughs) the history tells us that they would actually ring a bell when you exceeded your five minute prayer time. Well, um, this meeting kept going and it kept going and it didn't seem very dramatic at first. Lamphere started these meetings in September of 1857, but by January of 1858, God had moved so powerfully through New York City as a result of these prayers that their prayer group, that started with just six people by September of the, uh, by January of the next year, had come to grow up to 6,000 businessmen who were showing up every day for prayer. It was such an astounding move of the Holy Spirit that even newspapers were starting to send reporters to cover their meeting. By April of 1858, remember it started in September the year before. By January, it had reached 6,000. By April of that same year, that meeting had grown to 10,000 people showing up seeking God, at which point they had to move to a bigger hall. In fact, history records, this is actually true, you can go online and Google the name Jeremy Lampier. History actually records that the Spirit of God moved so powerfully through this revival that it actually began to spread through the nations as similar prayer meetings began to pop up in different states around the country. It's known as the Businessman's Revival in New York City. And as a result of those prayer meetings, hundreds of thousands of people put their faith in Christ in what has, like I said, has now become known as the Businessman's Revival of 1857. There's a book called A God-Sized Vision, written by Colin Hansen and John Woodbridge, and they sum up the events of this period this way. Here's what they say. They said that the 1857 to 1858 awakenings testify that God is not intimidated by the size of our cities and the sin found in those cities. The Holy Spirit can move through these cities again, and God is looking for people like Jeremy Lampier who ask this question, Lord, what would you have me do? You see, God is looking for people of prayer, and he uses this prayer to bring Christian unity that so often precedes and accompanies revival. You know what I love about Jeremy Lamphere's story is what I said earlier, Jeremy didn't just pray bold prayers, he didn't just pray all night prayers, he didn't just watch, he didn't just fast, but he got to action. I am greatly impressed by the prayer life of Nigerians, I've been to several prayer meetings that. Sometimes, I think when you go to a prayer meeting, you need to pack a lunch and dinner. That's how long Nigerians pray. I admire that. But what I suspect is often missing in a lot of prayers in our churches is that we pray, but we don't act. The Bible is calling us to seek God with all our hearts, all our minds, all our spirits in prayer. But then, brothers and sisters, you have to work just as hard pursuing those things you're asking God for. You see, faith, when it meets actions, is explosive as we see in the case of Jeremy fear. So I spent this whole podcast talking to you about praying bold prayers. What I wanna end with is to encourage you and challenge you to step out in faith and begin acting as if you believe God's gonna meet you. Are you praying for God for a business to bless people? Start doing a little piece of it. Start doing something, start walking, and you will find oftentimes that God actually meets you on the road. Did you get that? Many of us are at home praying and God's like, get out your house, get out the front door, put your shoes on, start working, and I'll meet you along the way. So that's, my friends, is what we need to do next. May the God of all hope fill our hearts with the kind of bold, audacious prayers that challenges heaven and changes earth. And may God fill you with the courage and audacity to step out in faith and start acting by faith on what you believe God's going to do. God bless you all. Thanks again for listening to the Nigerian Pastors Podcast. For more information about our ministry, uh, you could visit our website, www.thegatheringfaithleadership.network. We are a pastoral training ministry in the city of Jos, Plateau State, Nigeria, and our mission is to encourage, equip, and strengthen pastors and ministry leaders. If you enjoyed this week's podcast and were blessed by it, there are one of two ways you can be a blessing to us in return. One, you can subscribe to our podcast on whatever streaming platform you're listening to us and leave an encouraging review. Man, give us some great stars uh, telling us how much you enjoyed our podcast. That would mean a lot to us. And then two, you can actually visit the episode page of this week's podcast and share it on any of your social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, wherever, and let your friends know about us. We truly appreciate you and hope you were blessed by this. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you up with you next week. Stay close to Christ.